Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It feels like the world has ended when you do a, like a crap routine and competition or it doesn't come together the way you hoped or the way that you've been training or the way you've been preparing for. But you're going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be okay. That is Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games rhythmic gymnast Danielle Prince. And this is episode 238 of the Oshie Ginsberg podcast. And welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is my show, and I'm so happy you're here. Today's episode is with Olympic and Commonwealth Games rhythmic gymnast Danielle Prince. Uh, she's an Australian athlete. She's extraordinary. You can find her on Instagram at Danny Prince. That's Danny with two N's. D-A-N-N-I-P-R-I-N-C-E. And it's her birthday tomorrow, 12th of June. It's her birthday. So make sure you wish a happy birthday from all of us here from you. That'd be great. Go find her there. She's ace. Um, today's episode is, uh, I, I do like the episodes that I get to do with athletes because it's fascinating to explore mindset and what we can learn from them. Uh, for those of us who aren't Olympians, that is. Uh, but today's episode is not really about victory. It's about what you do when victory doesn't come your way, even though you've dedicated so many hours and days and months and years to victory. Danielle is an incredibly strong and wise young woman. I can't wait for you to hear what she has to say about what you do with your life when the thing that you worked for doesn't come your way. She has had heaps of success across her career. She's won gold at the Commonwealth Games. 
but it's a cracker. This one's a really, really good one. I hope you get a lot out of it. If you've never listened to bef- this show before, welcome. Glad you can be here. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Welcome to the show. Um, I have had, if you've never listened to the show before, I'm Osher. I've, I've had a few names and a couple of haircuts since I've been in the public eye here in Australia. I work on the telly. I work on the radio. Well, I don't work on the radio anymore, but I used to. Um, but every Monday for the last 237 Mondays in a row, I've been here making a podcast which is a conversation between two people that I hope you will get something out of. What's that something? Hopefully, something that'll make today a little bit better than yesterday. Now, sometimes you'll hear a message from a person that you know, a name that you've clicked on, you've recognised enough to download the episode, like last week's episode with Guy Sebastian, for example. But sometimes you might hear that message from someone that you may have never heard of. But I want you to trust in your heart that I do take great care in selecting who I talk to on this show, and I try really hard to curate the guests so that I can bring you conversations that are beneficial to my ultimate goal, I guess, my ultimate goal of helping us all make today a little bit better than it was yesterday. But no matter what, I guarantee that you'll hear something that you need to hear today, something that'll make you stop in your tracks and think about maybe how you look at the world, and maybe, just maybe... Adjust that angle of observation just enough to see some possibility that you might not have seen. And in doing so, unlocking a level of happiness or a level of opportunity that you heretofore hadn't known about. A little something, just a little something, a little skew shift, a little change of perspective that'll hopefully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. I did want to thank everybody over in the Facebook group first off. There's an Osher Ginsberg podcast Facebook group that's been going for a couple of weeks now. You just search for it in Facebook where you look for groups, or I've actually put a link in my Instagram bio if you want to go find it there. The conversations and support that are happening over in that Facebook group just warms my heart. It's so great to see so many listeners to this show coming together, a couple of hundred people by now. Uh, everyone coming together to support each other, everyone there working Working hard, and ultimately, I guess it looks like from what I can see, it's kind of taking care of itself. I just occasionally observe. It's just people talking with each other. Um, people there working on taking control of the things that they can take control of and making positive changes amongst those things to make today a bit better than yesterday. Um, on Sunday, we, we shared a great discussion about how some of us were moving our bodies to help our brains. It was great chat. It was brilliant. Brilliant chain of, of, of posts, brilliant, what do you call it? Thread, sorry, a big thread of posts uh, of what, everyone kind of posting what they did to move their body to help their brain on a Sunday, and it was just a cracker, real inspirational stuff. So if you're on Facebook, if that's your thing, come and join in. It'd be great to see you there. A big thank you for all the support this week, uh, support in the emails that you send, send us your email at gmail.com, support by sharing this show, by, you know, putting it on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram just to share out that you're listening to the show in an Instagram story or a post. The support by liking and rating and commenting in iTunes, that helps us a lot here on the show. And to be honest, the nuts and bolts support of going to Patreon, patreon.com slash osher, O-S-H-E-R, and putting a couple of bucks a month in. It helps me keep the lights on here. Podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. So anything that you can do helps me pay my team, which involves uh, Andy Ma, my audio producer, and my new producer, Rachel, because uh, Haley has gone off to uh, explore the world, and uh, we will miss her very, very much. But, you know, you can't 
stop someone who's 26 from going to explore the world because that's what the world's there to be done for. Uh, a big thanks to everybody that pre-ordered the book. You can do that as well through the link in my Instagram bio. Thanks for your patience as I continue to get those thank you messages out there. If you do buy the book, email me the receipt. Send us your email at gmail.com. I will shoot you something special to say thanks. I am a bit behind because I'm I'm still editing the damn book. I've got my pen and paper out by now. Um, but I will shoot you something. That is an absolute guarantee promise. Did I mention that Danielle Prince is here? She has a cracking story. Um, an athlete that went for glory. At the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast just recently missed out on her medal, but still felt victorious because of the journey that she went on. I can't wait for you to hear this one. I cry twice during this show. There you go. That's how good it is. So Danielle Prince is on the show today. However, before we get to her, I did want to check in with a dear friend and a man that I share a lot of work history with, the one and only Mark Holden. Mark is about to play the Adelaide Cabaret Festival with his show, Mark Holden's Greatest Show on Earth, which is a show inspired by his family's once famous Holden Brothers Travelling Circus. He's a, as you know, Mark is a TV personality, but he's also a very well-known singer, songwriter, record producer, and uh, he's got a cracking one-man show that he's worked very hard on. It's playing at the Dunstan Playhouse at the Adelaide Festival Centre this Wednesday, this Thursday night. Tickets are available now. Mark Holden, what are you doing in California? Uh, it was Katie's graduation. She graduated from uh, Chapman Uni this past weekend and she's uh, she's got herself a job she only applied for two jobs one at william morris and one at caa and they both offered her the gig so she's studying i'm guessing Isn't that fabulous? Gonna, she'll be starting in the mail room she's starting in the mail room it's a it's a path trodden by every single one of those massive agents that you see flying learjets around every one of them started in the mail room it's an extraordinary what why do you think it's important to start in the mail room mark Oh, look, I think it's important to start somewhere. And she, uh, the great thing about Chapman Uni was, I mean, she learned some things at the uni and she made some films and learned how to do things to do with making films and that. But the real total bomb was that they hook their people up here in America with internships. And in the first year, it's not paid. And then in the second, third and fourth year, it's paid. They get paid internships. And she just, she was at E, she was at Bravo, she was at, you know, all these fabulous places and just right in the belly of the beast and being paid to be there. So that's where she got her high distinction. She got her high distinction in schlepping from uh, Orange County three days a week, an hour and a half each way at the end of a 10-hour day. She paid her way. She really did. Not everybody wants their kids to follow them into the entertainment industry. Mark, is there something she did of her own volition? Uh, she's No, she's just following her spirit. She's following where she wants to go. She wants to tell stories and, you know, she wants to put things. She's a putter-togetherer. Yeah. She's a hard worker, you know, and she did, she prefer to be that side of the camera than, than, than the side I've been on at various times. She likes being an, an organiser. I'm not going to lie, Mark. I'm feeling pretty old because I remember this kid, this little kid that you introduced yes. me to in the first season of Idol 15 yes. years ago, and now she's graduated university. I'm feeling old, bro. We, um, for, for her graduation party, Katie organized for us to have, she found a, an online store that, uh, uh, that, that created a T-shirt going, 
a, a, that's a fucking touchdown with a picture of me doing a touchdown on it. And so she got two, she bought two of them, and and that was her graduation shot. Me giving her a touchdown, us both wearing our touchdown t-shirts. That was wow. a, that was a beautiful moment. But she uh, she she totally worked her ass off. And I just love her so much. And she is an incredibly hard worker. She always has been. I don't know where she got it from. I've been a hard worker at various times, and so has my wife. But she she takes it to another level. And uh, I, you know, I'm just in awe of, you know, it's. And as I say to her all the time now, it's it's her time. You know, it's, she's a young woman. Women are far more capable than men. Uh, women are less likely to be in jail. Women are less likely to commit violence. Women are better organisers. They're prepared to... Uh, I mean, it's a whole different thing. Her, it's her time. You know, her, she is she is right on time. I mean, the last time you were on this podcast, you're a, a, a very busy, practising uh, barrister. Um, I still am. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Working, working hard to yeah. you know, deal with young men and women, mostly men who've done dumb things, uh, yeah. and, and try to help them not pay too much of a price that our society has agreed upon as a price that has to be paid for when you do dumb things. Um, yeah. What made you go, yeah, you know what, I need to get back up on stage? My brother asked me to do some shows with him. You know, he was my inspiration. He was in a band called the Moonshine Jug and String Band with John and Rick Brewster. Or they became Brewster the Angels. John. That's right. And and yeah. and he was in he was in their first band. And but he's been in bands all his life. <laughs> he's still playing. Anyway, he asked me if we could if we could do some shows together, and that was beautiful. We've done those. And all that time, I'd been working on this piece, which is a theatrical piece. It's Mervyn Ashton from Ashton Circus has given me really beautiful footage from the 1950s and the Holdens and the Ashtons travelled together over as family circuses did in those days. They'd join together and they'd do a few hundred miles together and then one family would go one way, another family go the other way. And he shot these beautiful films in the 1950s when the circuses were travelling together and it was the circus at its absolute height and they're glorious Technicolor of that era, and they've never been seen before. Because I, I didn't know that you had a family that was yeah. on the road, and that was a family yeah. business. And I'm guessing That's there was it. no lions and tigers and bears. It was um, uh, they were all, and juggling and that sort of thing. You know, they were. They were. He Adolphus was. <laughs> I'm not bullshitting. Adolphus was a one-legged trapeze artist. Yeah. Uh, he lost his eye. Now it sounds like I'm. I'm telling you the God's honest truth. And uh, he lost his leg. In, in, you know, he worked at the railroads as a as a teenager. He lost his leg, turned his disability into a into a, essentially an acrobatic high wire type act. Tell me, obviously traveling through rural Australia and um, back then it would have been almost frontier Australia in many parts. Um, Absolutely. What Absolutely. was the what was the Holden Circus uh, contact? You mentioned there was some contact with the Indigenous community. Yeah, I mean, I've got some beautiful... Well, there was Combo George, who travelled with them, who was an Aboriginal stockman who did trick riding. And uh, But but my question was, I, I had a letter from 1870 
that that John Holden wrote that where he talked about growing a thousand pounds worth of wheat. Now, this was you know you can imagine a thousand pounds worth of wheat in the 1870s, a hell of a lot of money. But in the same letter, he noted that there were no Aborigines left in the district, and they'd only settled it 20 years before. So in the course of 20 years, in the area around Geelong, in the Ballerine, the the clan that is the Watherong went from somewhere between three and 600 to seven in, in 20 years. That's hot. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's and and we never heard about. I mean, you know, it was known. I, I through with the help of the Watherong Centre uh, and and Uncle Dave down there, who unfortunately has passed. We, we were able to to find. We wrote a song called Kill Party. Mick, a guy called Mick Ryan and I, Mick, Mick who I met down there at the Watherong Centre. He was working there and come a mate. We wrote this beautiful song. But every name in which is in the show. Every name in the song, it's called Kill Party. Every name in the song is historically correct. That that uh, they knew the names of the people then. They knew the places. They knew every single thing about it. They at the time, they knew exactly what was happening. Everybody knew exactly what was happening, and and it was allowed to happen. Well, it was encouraged to happen. It's a it's a, such an intense thing to talk about, isn't it, Mark? That you know, on you know, yeah, I don't know. One of one of my favourite shows is Selling Houses Australia. I just love it because I get to see parts of the country yeah. I otherwise wouldn't see, right? And I look at these vast tracts of land, you know, particularly out in the outskirts of Western Sydney and you know, you know, north of Melbourne, and I think all the time I think, well, who was here before? Look at that. There's creeks. There's valleys. There's shelter. There's who was here before? You know, and, and it was actually, and it was actually in Victoria in particular. It was actually quite sophisticated when you when you really uh, drill down into it. I mean, it, 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 there were you know there was farming of fish. There was there's a I, I've been taken the Watherong have taken me out to a to an astrological site um, in Werribee, which is just like extraordinary, and. Um, yeah, I mean it was a, it was far more evolved than than we were ever uh, taught. That's for sure. Well, it wasn't in anybody's interest to teach us that. Oh, by the way, this this incredible country that you live in, we uh, yeah, we kind of destroyed a culture in order to have you live here. Uh, we don't want you to feel bad about it. So just yeah, everything's fine. You know. Yeah. Yes, and 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 uh, I, I know uh, from studying the records that. That my uh, grandparents were selling off those blocks of land after World War One, going into the Depression, and uh, sending my dear old dad to Scotch College during the Depression, and that's that's the uh, literally selling the land that they uh, acquired, and the you know the word acquired being the um, operative word. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was language that was used around uh, reporting and and how things came to be. As you mentioned in your, in your song, everyone in the community knew, all right? 
And yeah. some some parts of Australia they didn't even hide it. There's a, I don't know if it's still called it that, but near Yandina, which is about I don't know seventy k's from Noosa, kind of inland that way. Near Yandina, there's a there's a place called Murdering Creek. All right. Yeah. Have a, have yeah. a guess. Have a guess what happened there, Mark. And and yeah. that it's still known well into the twentieth century as oh that oh that's Murdering Creek. Yeah, that's where the yeah. stockmen did all those people. Yeah, you know, it, it was just, it was fine. Everyone was cool with it. And it kind of blows your mind that this is how so many so many parts of our country came to be. Well, uh, my my wife is a, a Cherokee uh, and uh, her, her grandmother was full-blood Cherokee. And uh, it was legal to shoot Cher- Indians in California right through 1920. Bloody hell. Yeah. For any reason at all, you could uh, enslave them or shoot them. Either. Too many crickets, man. Well, yeah, things, it's the wild. things that humans do to other humans. I'm telling you. Yeah, it is. It's wild. It's wild. But those those are just parts of it. And then you know, look, I don't want to, it's it's it, it does tell it it tells lots of different stories though, and it and it's it, you know it's it's fun ridiculous stories too because I have my life has been a circus. I mean, being in Countdown around that time and just to be around uh, the Sydney Olympics with Vanessa and absolutely everybody going out all around the world and being hit in 21 countries. and all There have been some fantastic, there have been some fantastic highs. And, and of course, I've got to, you know, I have to tell the story of of the falls as well. There have been, there've been some spectacular falls, one of which you were very close witness thereof. I sure was. I sure was, Mark. I sure sure was. A different name and probably seven different haircuts during that, you know, week. But um, no, I I definitely remember that. And uh, you know, I think what's you know, not everyone's going to have a career as a as a pop star, as a you know, as a actor, as a record producer, as a as an industry mogul. Not everyone's going to have that career, Mark. But the thing that has it seems that your you know this show is keeps coming back to is the Chumbawamba that they get knocked down they come back up again what was it Mark yeah. that kept get, what was it that kept getting you back up off the map Mark uh, I think the last time this last time getting back off the map was pride it, you know I had been so firmly humiliated and uh, losing a job that I loved and um, you know you don't get those opportunities all that often in life so I, I absolutely loved every minute of it and so to lose something like that was humiliating so I, you know it was took me a year or more licking my wounds and then I turned my mind back to the law and thought about the challenge that that might present and then I got cancer and that came that became a challenge and having to learn to sing again and and learn to talk again and 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 all of those things it's uh i'm just not ready to lay down yet mate i'm stoked adelaide cabaret festival is going to be a a wonderful event and i'm you know i'm excited for you taking it out on the road and going and getting amongst the wide brown land and telling this story mark i couldn't be more proud for you um the way you're feeling right now about your daughter's success and you know i hope you see it as job well done parenting mate you made it (laughs) <laughs> yes, and uh, and and your and how is your parenting journey going? You'll tell me another time. 
Uh, I can't well, wait to hear how it's going. I'm the stepfather of fourteen and a half year old teenage girl, Mark. I am yep. in, I'm on a learning curve, unbeknownst to me, and I'm loving every second. Uh so you're a lucky man. I'm very blessed. I'm blessed every day. Every day I get a chance to identify things within myself that don't serve me and go, you know, why is it that I say stuff like that? I don't need to say that. Mm-hmm. Let me figure this out. Every day, man. Well, I, I, I believe in the inner game of tennis, which is now I can I find it e- easier to do now at this age than ever before. And that is when I do find myself in those dark places, which, you know, I'll, I'll get anxious about something to do with the show or whatever it is. I just, lift my little needle out of the groove and put it into another groove. And the older I get, the easier it is to do that. I love it, man. Have a beautiful night. It's been so great to catch up with you, Mark. Cheers. Always good to hear from Mark Holden. He's a he's a solid human. I have a lot of time for him. Freaks me out, though, because the daughter that he was talking about at the start of that uh, was a little kid running around the set of Australian Idol back in the day, and now she's graduating university with a degree. Oh, age. It's coming for all of us, isn't it? It really will. It really is. Oh, that's right. So by now, you are well and truly stuck into whatever it is that you started uh, when you hit go on this podcast. You're, you're gardening, you're going for a run, you're going for a ride, you're in your commute, whatever it is you're doing. I, I did want to ask that if you feel like it, send me a photo of what it is that you're doing. What are you looking at right now? You're probably listening to this on a device that takes a photo. What are you looking at right now? Email it to me. Send Osher email at gmail.com. I love to see where you listen to the show. It's, it's, it's called a podsy. It's like a selfie, but it's a podsy, P-O-D-S-I-E, a photo of what you see as you hear my voice right now. I'll get sent a great posse this week from the peak of a ski field in New Zealand. A, a, a listener, an adventurous listener, took a job overseas as a as a barista in a ski field. Never seen snow before. Boom! Now works at the top of a mountain. Excellent adventure, overseas adventure. How great is it? Unreal fun. Look, all I can say is, if it's your first ski season, wear wrist guards. Just do it. Just wear wrist guards. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing. Where you are listening this week, you can send that to me however you want. So, to check in, let's check in. All right, how are you? Are you good? You good? You all right? Um, if this is your first episode, I should let you know that I'm Osher. Uh, I'm, I'm a guy who has a job on television, but I'm also a guy with a different brain. Uh, and each week I, I do on this show like to check in and talk about how I'm managing that different brain in an effort to try and make conversations about managing different brains, managing mental health and taking responsibility for and managing your own mental health, trying to make those conversations a bit more commonplace. So, uh, you know, put my money where the mouth is, and I'll start with myself. Um, What shall I tell you? This week, oh, this week's been interesting. This week, I've experienced something two mornings in a row now, which I haven't felt for years and years. I've had it for one morning every now and again, but two in a row? Groundbreaking. Whatever it is that I'm doing with the exercise and the eating and the journaling and the therapy... It's slowly starting to work. Two mornings in a row now, I have awoken peacefully just before my alarm, with my body calmly transitioning from slumber to consciousness. And then, for some reason, the opening bars of Al Green's Let's Stay Together come playing through my head. And then I hear the birds out the outside, and my dog snoring softly at the foot of the bed. That's really nice. <laughs> That's really nice. 
This is a very long way from the instant anxiety doom that I would wake up to for years. Waking up not because of an alarm, because of a jolt of adrenaline was pumping through my system and my body thinking, convinced that I was in peril, in fact. That was how I woke up. Am I awake? Oh, fuck! My brain's on high alert! Danger must be everywhere! Body in panic! That used to be how I woke up every day. Not lately. And that's really nice. It might not seem like much if you've never had that kind of thing, but it is an, it's a game changer. To not start my day with that body reaction jolt of fear, it's a lovely change because that's how you, I used to start every single day of my life. Exercise has been such a massive part of regulating that response in my body. It really has. And, and I know... I know if I need to move because that jolt awake returns if I've been a bit slack. But even even just this morning, I was in Brisbane visiting family and, and there's a, a few kettlebells that I've left at my brother's house from when I was working in radio there. And I grabbed them and I did just a short, like 25-minute work, not even your 40, F45, just 25, G25, that's what I did. <laughs> I did a 25-minute workout and it utterly smashed me. But the rest of the day was a breeze because of it. It doesn't take much, just a bit of movement of the body, elevating the heart rate a little. That's enough for me to get the things in my brain unlocked, the ones that make me feel better. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this. How, how do you, you might hear me talking and go, yeah, that's all well and good for you. You've been doing this every day for a while now. How do I get started? I don't know. I've never done this kind of thing before. So I wondered, what if you just told yourself, I'm just going to move for five minutes. That's it, just five minutes. I've got five minutes. A nice walk a few stretches, a couple of easy squats, something super, super simple. Just commit to five minutes and that's it. Now, you might finish your five minutes and go, great, done for the day. Or you might think, well, I'm here. I'm warmed up. I'm outside. I might may as well just keep walking or keep moving or do whatever it is that I got started. For me, it's the exercise equivalent of the one dish technique that I like to use. So if I walk into a kitchen and there's just a mountain of dishes, all right, I know I've got to do them, but it's just insurmountable. It's just like I can't do it. And, and if I look at I've got to do all of them, I'll never start. So I tell my brain, look, I'll just wash one dish. I'll just wash one dish. That's it. So I soap up the sponge and I wash just one. But then I'm standing there and, you know, the sponge is in my hands and then I just reach for the other plate and then I may as well wash another. And before you know it, I've worked through the whole pile and the kitchen's clean. But if I hadn't tricked myself, I never would have started. So that's what I like to do. I like to just tell my, like when I was writing this book, I was like, I'll just make some notes. I'll just make some notes about what I might think about writing today. Before you know it, bang, you know, 800 words. But I had to trick myself to get started. And maybe that might give you an entry point into moving your body today. Because you've got five minutes. You can do it between waiting for something to cook or, you know, for the bathroom to be three, free or somewhere that you otherwise wouldn't do any exercise. Just slip that movement in somewhere. Try it for a week. Try it for a week. See how you feel. But I've got to tell you, I notice when I don't get it done. I know that I'm better when I have had the chance to release some of that emotional energy in my body through movement. I'm just better in my head, and I can tell that I'm kind of a better person to be around by the reaction of others to me. But I'm a sample size of one, so it's not science. However, there is plenty of research that proves that moving your body is good for your mind. So if you can, give it a shot. Let me know how you go. If you need some accountability, join up at the Facebook group that I talked about before. Find some support there. The, the link's in my Instagram bio. Uh, yeah, I already told you that, but that, yeah, that's how you can find us there. All right. So 
Everybody's here. We're all here. Good. All right. Let's get to the business end of the show. Hang on. Have a quick swig of water here. Hang on. I'm drinking water out of a jar because though I used to live in Venice Beach, I still drink water out of jars. Okay. My guest today is Danielle Prince. On Instagram, she is Danny Prince, D-A-N-N-I-P-R-I-N-C-E. So Danny Prince, one word. Follow her there. Let her know you heard her here. I think it's her birthday on Tuesday, on the 12th of June, I believe, if the internet is to be believed. So let her know. Uh, Danielle is a Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games rhythmic gymnast. In her words, rhythmic gymnastics is the absolute fusion between athleticism and art. It is the sport that is designed to make the impossible look easy. And Danielle's story is a story of just how much time, how much effort, how much focus and dedication it takes to do just that, to make the impossible look easy. Spoiler alert, (laughs) how is it? It's relentless focus, practice and repetition, but I'll let her describe it because there are no shortcuts to mastery. I don't care what the internet tells you. There are no hacks. Mastery is only available to you through dedication, through focus, through practice, through repetition. Danielle has had an incredible athletic career. She made history as the first female gymnast to represent Australia at three consecutive Commonwealth Games. She's represented the country as the only rhythmic gymnast who was selected to get to the Olympic Games in Rio 2016. Danielle not only works with the Lane Beachley Foundation, but now Danny has developed her own scholarship to nurture young athletes to continue to strive to be their best. And in this conversation, you can hear how she not only deals with the incredible successes that she's had with her career, but also the times that she missed the podium, which, let's be honest, when you're an athlete, that happens more often than not. Now, this is an emotional conversation. I'll tell you that right now. Twice while Danny was telling me her story, I started to cry. Her grace and dignity in describing how even though she missed out on the athletic goal that she'd set for herself, how she describes how she emerged as a victor from a competition that she didn't succeed at, it is one that moved me, and I'm certain that it will move you. It's the first time that I've ever met someone who's retiring at 25 from the thing that they've done their entire life. And so I was fascinated to hear how someone who's done nothing but dedicate their every waking second to a particular outcome now changes course to pursue something else. Now, you may never twirl a ribbon, while doing a reverse scissor leap. However, what Danny's been through and the lessons that she has to tell you today, it'll change the way you look at what you stand to win, even when the scoreboard says, actually, no, you didn't win. Danielle's a remarkable young woman. You can find her on Instagram, Danny Prince, D-A-N-N-I-P-R-I-N-C-E. Let her know that you heard her here. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Danielle Prince. I'm good, thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Is Sydney your home? Uh, For now, yes. Yeah? Yeah. So I moved down to Sydney from Brisbane at the beginning of last year. There you go. Brio de Janeiro, my old hometown. (laughs) There you go. What part of Brisbane did you grow up in? Um, So I grew up in... It was 
It's Mount Crosby. So if you yeah, know like Yeah, I know Mount yeah. Crosby very, very well. I used to deliver one of my old jobs was I delivered groceries for uh-huh. Coles at Kenmore. There you go. Right? The local the local shops. And, well local it's the closest shops. Forty within minutes a- from where you are. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I Matt, for people who don't know, Mount Crosby's where the water treatment plant for Brisbane is, mm-hmm. um, and I would yeah I'd deliver groceries out there. That is a, for go. folks who don't know what it's like. Could you describe what Mount Crosby's like? Um, it's it's just, a pretty remarkable part of Australia, considering how close you are to a city. It is. It is. Um, the way I described it is like we lived on acreage, so we had two acres of land, um, but our house and that acreage actually backed onto a nature strip as well. So like between driving to and from school in the particularly early morning, like wallabies everywhere, you know, like it's quite far out and the bush and the scenery, it's beautiful out there. Yeah, But still really close to Brisbane. Come on. As a 20-year-old, not really close. I wouldn't describe that as really close. My dad maybe would yeah. describe it as close, um, but, yeah, not as a 20-year-old. Trying to figure out how to catch a cab from the city to home after a night out is just – it's not a great thing, In a time be before Uber. Yes. Yeah. Difficult. Very expensive Truly. Place to like triples the cost. Triples <laughs> yeah. the cost of your night out. Yes. You are the, – the world knows you as an Olympic-level rhythmic <laughs> – gymnast yeah you i'm guessing started with, mm-hmm. with dancing yeah so basically my parents put me into dancing from age three any reason um i think i was just like i was just such an energetic kid i was like constantly bouncing off the walls um my mom tells tells the story very well of how my dad used to do night shift so he would come home from work they would have like a 20 minute crossover and then she would go to work and he would sleep and wait for me to wake up in the morning. But I would always be up before him. He would inevitably sleep in. Three hours later, I'm in the kitchen by myself. I've torn apart the kitchen and they're like, we need to burn this child out. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What so, business was he dad and he was doing night shift? Um. So at that stage, he was doing... Oh, don't know, to be honest. You don't know what your father did for a living? <laughs> Back then, he's had a, quite a few career changes. Um, so at the moment, he drives trains. So he does like the big freight trains that drive all the way up to um, Brockhampton and back and Mackay and all those kinds of things. Wow. So he's also done, um, worked with aircraft. He has his pilot's license. So he's just like one of those amazing guys that just his brain works with machinery and things figuring out how things work. So you can obviously imagine like him teaching me how to drive and teaching to drive a manual as well. Like just the way that his brain works is just fantastic. Right, a real real systems kind of guy, Mm -hmm. sees the whole Mm -hmm. system. Of course he would dearly love being on the train. Yes. And driving a train because he would be able to picture in his mind all the junctions, all the crossovers, all the he would just like be able that would just like total engineer brain oh my goodness yeah so like we particularly when he was learning um like changing his career and learning how to drive trains and things like that um he would have we would be playing in the living room just videos of they would be recording in the train as they were learning like the tracks and like the routes and stuff like that so he would just be watching for hours on end just like 
a train, just like going through like North Queensland and remembering the signals and the lights and all of that kind of stuff. So very, yeah, very much into it. That's hit television now. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the, do you watch on the ABC when they showed no, the gun? No. That's hit TV now. The, mm-hmm. It's called uh, Slow TV. It started with one particular show. I believe wow. it was in Norway. It okay. was um, uh, people building fires, a log fire. And it would just burn for like eight People hours. People watch that. People watch it. Couldn't couldn't tear <laughs> away from it. Then there was one which was a video of a ferry's journey because up there mm-hmm. is like there's archipelagos like 112 islands all around Oslo and stuff like that. And there was a video of the ferry and, and it just went for, for 26 hours or something Did like that. Did they put this on like fast forward? No. No. It's normal space. Normal pace. <laughs> and so here in Australia we did with the Garn, which is from Alice from uh, Darwin to Adelaide. Okay. Yeah. And it was just a camera on the train. Okay. And this, this is hit television. This is hit television now. This is like the absolute opposite of what everybody's saying right now. Is that like we all have such short attention spans and we can't pay attention to anything for longer than thirty seconds. This is actually saying the exact opposite. Exactly. That people want to sit there and watch three hours of. I watched. <laughs> I don't know what. I watched it for hours. Danielle. I watched it for hours. It was. Ex- it's just intoxicating, intoxicating. And okay. what, made it, what, what makes it sensational, though, mm-hmm. is the conversation online that happens at the same time. I think that's the compliment to okay. you don't just sit there and watch it by yourself. You're watching it and there were Facebook groups and there was Twitter conversations mm-hmm. and stuff like that and mm-hmm. everyone's commenting and then you're all Engaging. almost this communal mm-hmm. viewing experience that you all get to watch together, which, you know, is part of why I love doing the shows that I work mm-hmm. on, uh, like The Bachelor, Bachelor, et cetera, because mm-hmm. people watch it together and the conversation that happens around that. Anyway, so uh, what business was your mum in? Um, so my mum was doing catering at that point, actually. So she worked um, at an all-girls school, um, but up in Toowoomba. So she was driving from, from Mount, Mount Crosby. Crosby. Mogul Ferry? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then going up to Toowoomba, which is like just such a big mission. Um, but that was definitely wasn't the end of our big missions in terms of driving across Brisbane, left, right, and centre. So no. it was just kind of the norm. Yeah. Um, but so- what's, what's super cool about that is here's this child that's tearing up the kitchen. Here's this child <laughs> that is so full of energy, she's destroying the house. I'm just so grateful to your parents. None of them have met them, but I'm just so grateful to your parents that they went, that kid needs to be put in dance school, not that kid needs to be medicated. Yeah. Which ha- does happen. And mm-hmm. you and I both know this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's, what do you, do you remember anything about those early dance things? <laughs> that there's I. There's videos. I know there's videos. <laughs> oh my God. There's fantastic videos. I think that I was confident enough and I was good enough that I always got put in the front row. But when it actually came to the performances, every single dance concert, I'm there in the front row just looking at this person next to me. You never saw the front of my face because I was constantly unsure of what I was doing, even though I knew ex- the, the, I knew the routine, I knew the dance, whatever. But for some reason, I just, I guess I didn't quite have that, um, like, confidence to know that I could execute it at that time in front of all of those people, which is really fascinating, I think. When did that change? I don't think it has changed. No, <laughs> Um, I guess like as you grow older and yeah. as I've grown older, um, obviously I'm on the carpet by myself, so I don't really have anyone to look at. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I still have that innate second guessing myself 
Right. Um, and I don't think that's going to leave me anytime soon. Well, look, it's okay, it's okay to have that. I guess, you know, you've got mm-hmm. to have your own executive producer in your head to, to double check, you know, yeah. but then there's also the allowing that to not be the lead voice just to constantly, is this it? Yes, this is it. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. Uh, so as a kid, not being able to drive, uh, being able to do dance to that level requires a lot of, a lot mm-hmm. of time in the car. Yes. What part of Brisbane did you do the dancing in? Um, we actually did it in Caralee. What's so Caralee's like kind of it's like on the way between Mount Crosby, like Caralee's kind of like a little detour and then you keep on going to like Kenmore and Brookfield and stuff like oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's actually kind of like not too far from Mount Crosby but that was just like our local dance school I guess like things really changed when I started gymnastics that oh, was, what, what made that change happen it was a combination um, my dance teacher uh, noticed that I had quite good natural flexibility and I was quite a little performer as well I enjoyed performing um, and yeah she su- see uh, sorry she suggested that I try rhythmic and I'd never really heard of it before um, my mum had seen it and she was like yeah actually so she took me along to my local club, which at that point was based out of St. Peter's. Um, we were using the sports hall there. That's a school in Indrapilly, yeah. uh, which is still not quite all the way into Brisbane, but it's it's a it's a massive shopping hub Yeah, about probably 20 minutes from the CBD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, my mum took me in. I walked into that hall and I was just mesmerised straight away, like, I remember seeing um, my soon-to-be teammates uh, doing a hoop routine and it was a group routine, so five girls on the mat with hoops and I was just watching them like with my eyes as big as dinner plates going like, oh, this is what I want to do, Mum. <laughs> How old were you? I was 11. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's killer. Yeah. And that was it? That was it. I was I was hooked. I wasn't just one of these kids that liked doing it. I was obsessed and, I mean, I'm still obsessed, um, but you have to be, I think, to be kind of at the level that we're competing at now. Yeah. So when you – do you remember your first apparatus that you got as your own to take home? I remember it was – I'd been doing gymnastics, been doing like two weeks of classes, so not a lot, and I remember the one of the gym mums had uh, like a little apparatus shop in the back of her Actually, garage. Of course she did. <laughs> and I remember going over to her house and I remember buying, like my mum buying me my first ball and my first rope and my first hoop. And that was just, I wanted to take it home and like sleep with my ball because I just loved it so much. It was pink and I got a pink ball case and I still use that pink ball case. <laughs> So yeah, I was I was hooked. <laughs> so you got a hoop, and obviously you got you got a bit of space out the backyard out at Mount Crosby. Yes. So every yes. afternoon, every morning before school. Yes. So constantly trying to do tricks. And now, if I think about you know the kids that I coach doing, trying to do stuff at home, I'm like, oh my goodness, like you can just like just injuries waiting to happen. But yeah, I was one of those kids that was like throwing myself around trying to teach myself how to do walkovers and backward walkovers and everything like that. I get, you know, it's, I'm going to get super gendery here, but <laughs> it's not uncommon to a kid, a young, you often see it, many, many young women do it, but mm-hmm. a young boy getting a skateboard. Yeah. And going, yeah, that's a good oh, equivalent. my God, I've got this thing. All I want to do is do things that could potentially hurt me, but I'm going to practice this kickflip for 
hours until I get it right. It's this super oh, yeah. technical, super tricky, super difficult physical thing to master. My ankle has to be in this spot. My knee has to be in that spot. Oh, I hit myself. Ow, hit myself. Ow, hurt. Ow, 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 ow. I've got it. Yes. <laughs> but that feeling of getting it, it is addictive. Like it's just – it's. And I still have that now when I'm training, like I'm addicted to that feeling of finally getting a skill. And I think that's why I love rhythmic so much is because there's so many elements that you can do a hundred times. And on that like 101 time when you get it, it's just, it's amazing. Nothing else. I, I'm about to discover whether anything else can, can match that feeling or even beat it. Yeah. Right. And so... To, to get to the Olympics, which is where mm-hmm. you were in Rio in 2016, clearly at some point someone went, hey, um, Mr. and Mr. Danielle, uh, something's, this kid, something's going on. Who was that? Which, which person was that in your life? Well, I guess it was, it's always your coach. It was my coach to start with. But I think it was even from day one for me, we rocked up to this trial class. Mum's like, oh, just put her in the, the the recreational fun class. You know, she wants to try it, see how she goes. My mum comes back like an hour later and I'm down the other end of the hall with like the junior development squad and she's like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> thousands of hours of driving flashing before her eyes. Thousands of dollars flashing before her eyes. <laughs> like... So, you know, from the get-go, um, I was I definitely had that kind of uh, drive and I definitely had a little bit of talent, but compared to a lot of my competitors who had started gymnastics when they were four, five, six, you know, they had six years on me. So I was very unco. Um, I had that kind of like I had it in the making. Um, that must have been frustrating. I think it was frustrating for maybe people that were not, you know, like that were watching on necessarily because I wasn't really aware of it. I was having a blast. I was loving what I was doing. But I was also the kid that was coming like 25th out of 26 kids in competitions and my first national championships, my second, third, you know, I was definitely down the bottom Um, and it took – I think I was turning 13 and I came out for one competition, like a state trial, and I won it. And I think it was just that moment where like my brain finally made that connection and I was able to point my feet properly and I was able to execute these skills that I hadn't for a very long time. And it was almost just like overnight that my brain made that connection and things started to work. And then that was when I guess really my coaches started to, you know, like tell my parents, like, we we need to think about this now. Like this is when, you know, we want to take her overseas now. She needs to, she's learnt up to here and she's gotten to where she is now, but this is where we can push. Um, so, yeah, around 13, I guess. Where did schoolwork come into all this? Haha, <laughs> school. <laughs> um so it's a bal- it was a balance all the way through, um, particularly through grade 8, 9 and 10. Um, we did a lot of traveling. So my first major overseas trip for gymnastics uh, was a six-week tour of 
uh, where did we go? We went to Bosnia. Uh, was our first stop, Slovakia, Russia, and Jesus, the homeland. <laughs> My God, like you're like like grand, grand central yep. super gymnast town. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we finished off in America. So I was missing six weeks of school as a year eight student. So that was our first year of high school. So at a new school, it was it was a lot. Um, but then I look back now. And it's funny because I've been talking to a lot of my old um, gym friends, and as a you know, as a thirteen-year-old, um, landing in Bosnia was the most eye-opening experience, and I think that it was more than I could ever learnt in Year Eight maths at that point. Why? Um, landing in Bosnia and driving through the city and seeing a war-torn country like that. And seeing all the bullet holes in the walls and half buildings everywhere was just so eye-opening. And it just, it opened my eyes up to the fact that we're so lucky here. I had no idea as a 13-year-old. You can be taught about it in school, but until you see till you, till you see it and then you experience that culture, it's it was just so enriching for me. And I learned so much. I definitely wouldn't have been the same if I think if I went to those countries when I was in my, you know, 20s, I feel like, yeah, you learn so much more when you're younger. It just opened my eyes up so much. A long way from, you know, your mates hanging out at the Indrapilly bus stop, worried that blah, blah from lorries isn't giving them the phone number. You're like, man, shit is amazing. If he gives you the phone number or not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> There's no bullet holes in the wall here, dude. Everyone's not an orphan. Things are fucking good. Things are great, (laughs) you know. Like it doesn't matter whether I didn't get a GHD for my 13th birthday, you know. Like Ah, it just ah, (laughs) ah. because that was what it was about when you're in grade eight, you know. Like did I get that sassambide denim skirt? Like, you know, it just put it all into perspective for us. When you did those tours, were you working out with other kids your age? Yes, and I think that's what made it so amazing as well. Um, There was our coach, well, for starters, my parents were crazy enough to let my coach take eight girls, all age 13, on a six-week trip for starters by herself. That was insane. Yeah. That was insane. And then the other part of that is uh, when we go to these countries and we go to these training centres to do training camps, they only accept cash, okay? So my parents have withdrawn almost $8,000 in in US dollars and have given it to my coach and she has she's opened up this jacket and she has eight different pockets of all of all of our money and she's getting on the plane and she's going off to all of these countries with all of this cash life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And eight 13-year-olds. She is amazing. Like, <laughs> I don't know what my parents were thinking. <laughs> That would be an interesting conversation at security as he goes yes. through the metal detector. <laughs> yes. It was, it was insanity. 64 grand, 70 grand US dollars. Oh, my goodness. Holy moly. And eight people's kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we weren't going to the States. We weren't going to London. We were going to Bosnia. We were going on other trips. We went to South Africa, Egypt, you know, all of these different countries that are, you know, not as safe as Australia or going, you know. Right, there's, no, there's on the list of countries that are not as safe <laughs> as Australia, there's thousands. There's yeah. not that many countries in the world. No, exactly. Got to be top 10. <laughs> got to be top five. Exactly. So, so but I've got to, I've got to know when you're, when you are, that age, do you have any idea that you are and you are teaching your brain to be in something called flow state? Are you, do you, are you, are you, do you have any idea at all that that's no. the feeling that you're experiencing? No, no, none at all. Cause you're just a 13 year old doing what you love. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, training, like the training camps in particular, um, I've, did two big ones when I was 13 and then the following year when we were 14. So we did two and a half weeks in Moscow and then we did two and a half weeks in Bulgaria in Sofia the year after. And to a point, training in those environments, you kind of understand what it should be and what your sport's all about, but you have no real higher understanding yeah because you're sweating your guts out and crying for five hours straight so why crying um why crying um because you are a 14 year old and you have a coach screaming at you uh for five hours straight like i said um doing the same skill over and over and over again our sport is about perfection so I guess probably like the best story to encapsulate that is we were doing a group routine and so there's the five team members on the mat and we had to do the first 20 seconds of that routine and we kept dropping the clubs and she made us do it from 8.30 in the morning, keep going 9.30, 11 30 we're still doing the same 20 second section so we've done it over 80 times by this point and we get to our normal lunch time which is 1 30 and she's like no lunch today the kitchen will bring down fruit juice and you keep practicing till you get this right that you know and it's as a 14 year old that's insanity And between the five of us, all we're doing is just, you know, like, oh, my God, this lady's insane. Like, what are we doing? This isn't your regular coach? No, no. So she's a Bulgarian coach. Oh, Um, so she's shouting at you in a front accent. Yeah. And half the time you don't even understand what she's saying. She could be telling, like, I'm sure we got called all words under the sun in Bulgarian, of course. So we didn't understand. Um, And that's pretty overwhelming as a 14-year-old when – I don't know, I guess like 14-year-olds in everyday life are getting shitty because like their teacher 
told them to be quiet and, you know, in a classroom I or something like Snapchat that. I lost two Snapchat streaks today. Shit. Oh, you know, it just like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very overwhelming experience, but it just l- taught us that it's just an all or nothing game, particularly in rhythmic. Um, you have to be there 100% and pushing yourself or you, you might as well not be there. It's, yeah. Why? I mean, it's like the, the, the agreement about sport I always find really mm-hmm. interesting. James Matheson, who I used to work with, and encapsulates this beautifully, and he's a, you know, just a rugby league tragic from a team here in Sydney called Manly. He's like, why would this particular group of, of 13 men who are all for some reason wearing the same coloured clothing um, be more important than that particular group of 13 men from another particular part of Sydney? Why would they be more important than them if they get this small little object uh, 100 metres that way? We don't know, yeah. but a stadium of 50,000 people will yeah. cheer when it happens, all right? There's, mm-hmm. Sport's just an agreement, yeah. all right? What's the agreement about rhythmic gymnastics? What's because it's you, you mentioned in countries like the fuck, like Egypt, Bulgaria, <laughs> Australia. Like, how do these countries have all come to this idea that no, this this is something that's super important? Mm-hmm. What, what's the agreement about rhythmic gymnastics? Um, rhythmic gymnastics is like the the absolute fusion between athleticism and art. So it is the sport that is designed to make the impossible look easy um, from the skills that the body skills that we do to the apparatus. And then the other side of that is the art side, which is the storytelling, the artistry, the grace. So there's so many aspects to our sport, but I guess from like the public's point of view, um, it's like just perfection and, um, seeing young women so you're not looking at uh, mature women you're looking at like 13 14 15 year olds on a world stage achieving all of that that's like a pretty big ask and that's pretty impressive to watch you know um so yeah i think that's what it is yeah and and there really there really is something about putting yourself in that position it's like could I throw a ball in the air, <laughs> run, do four backflips, throw a twist in there, do a back arch and then catch a ball nearly in a full contortionist, like yep. uh, going through a full back arch and then <laughs> reaching back down again through my ankles and then not let the ball touch the ground and then roll it back across my front and stand up smiling like, no big Nothing deal. Nothing happened. Everything's cool right here. <laughs> yeah. What are you all looking at? <laughs> I, I haven't even had breakfast yet. <laughs> It is like it's you like amazing. My sequence? <laughs> it's amazing, and yeah, like you said, like we stand up, we finish a routine, we smile, we wave, and you know, it's like it's just perfection, and nobody understands. If you were if you were to walk into that gym in Moscow, um, that's I guess like a small insight, I guess, and that's when people go like, oh wow, that's kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. But it's 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 the thousands and thousands of hours, isn't it? Yeah. I think uh, when a lot of people say that you have to do 10,000 hours to be an expert or to achieve a certain skill level, 10,000 hours for us is kind of like scraping the surface. <laughs> um, our sport is built on repetition. Um, it's. I know a lot of people question this muscle memory 
kind of thing. Um, but that's what our sport's really built off the premise. And in a way, as an older athlete now, um, my body doesn't necessarily agree with it. And there's a lot of, like, I guess a lot of physiologists and physios and things like that are, are saying that what you do is just insanity and that's why your body is just um, fighting back. Um, so we're, it's quite a traditional sport in that way that people have thought that doing 100 repetitions equals to catch it on the competition day, if that makes sense. Um, so that's how that's how they train and that's how... Unfortunately, I've already caught myself. That's how I coach as well because that's how I've been brought up. Are you saying 100 perfect repetitions in a row? Yeah. So if you fuck up on 64, you start again? <laughs> so, yeah. So they're definitely on the most recent coach that I was working with. Um, her premise was in a row. So it's not just like 100 or 50 or, you know, it's in a row. So you're getting to like, you know, that final, you know, two or three to go. And it's the mental side of it more than the physical side of it, I think, because once you get to that second last one, you're like, I'm almost done. Oh, crap. No, I'm not. Now I have to go back to the beginning. So it's training your brain as much as your muscles to not give up until you have absolutely finished. How do you get your brain into that space? I have gotten into the habit of trying to trick my brain. So when I get to, you know, nine, I go. So if you're going for 10. Yeah, if I'm going for 10, if I get to nine, I'll go, no, this is three. Like I just keep trying to take, alleviate that pressure from myself to, to know that I'm almost done. Yeah, that's how I do it. And what does that, what does that do for you? Again, it just removes that pressure. I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, so, yeah, just I do all I can to try and remove that or lessen that pressure. Yeah. Do, you, do you know, I mean, the analogy would be, uh, you talked about learning how to drive a manual car. The analogy yes. would be the first time that you reverse out of the driveway in a manual car, you are, is like, all systems go super alert. Yeah. You're thinking about your left foot. You're thinking about the clutch. You're thinking about pulling the engine in. You can't have the radio on. You're looking in every mirror at once. You've got your head over the shoulder. You're thinking 77,000 things. Yeah. If I asked you to reverse a manual car down an unfamiliar driveway like mine today, you'd do it on the phone with the radio on, yeah. winding the window down, no problem. <laughs> Can you tell when you're learning a new skill and, and that, that happens because the pattern of motion, the pattern of movement slips down into our subconscious as a routine, yes. all right? And we have a trigger to start it and yep. we have a reward at the end. Mm -hmm. Can you feel when you, ah, there it is. It's starting to get there. Ah, now it's there. Can you feel that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, particularly, it's most obvious, I think, when we learn a whole new routine. Um, so once every, like once a year or once every two years, you'll change your routine and as you start to get your choreography, you're everywhere. Like like you were saying, like you're on high alert. You're trying to not only remember what you're doing but also execute it at the same time. It's very complicated. But as the more you do that routine, you can really just feel your brain switch off in a way. Like you said, it kind of goes into your unconscious. You don't think about it anymore. Instead, I catch myself thinking about what I'm having for dinner and, you know, like you do, 
it's so ingrained into your brain and that movement pattern that, yeah, it kind of, you can feel when your brain has more space to breathe, if that makes sense. It's a strange way to think about it. Well, that's that's when you really know. That's when you really know. And I've had actor friends describe this, all right, that they learn the words so much. Tony, um, what's his name? Silence of the Lambs guy. Hopkins, Anthony Mm -hmm. Hopkins. He said, I know that I know that I know it. Okay, well, yep. I know that I know that I know it. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is they just they start the first words and then it just sort of comes out of their mouth. And the whole time they're performing this thing, they're not thinking about what they're saying or their mouth is moving. Mm-hmm. They're constantly concentrating on the emotion that they're bringing. All yeah. right? And that is their active in the moment thing that they're having. Yeah. All right. And I'm, 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 I'm going to guess that with you, the movement is all... It's almost automatic. It's the performance thing that you are, yeah. how can I bring this crowd in? How can I bring the judges in? Would that make sense? A hundred percent. That's what I was thinking as you were saying it. Um, for us, artistry is a really important part of our score. But I think bigger than that, when I was competing at the recent Com Games to encapsulate 7,500 people, like that's what you think about. Um, the movement is so you know what you're doing so much that in a way you almost don't know what you're doing because it's just so automatic and it's just the artistry and the expression and the performance side of things is just icing on the cake. Yeah. And what do you feel when you're in those moments? Uh, Just joy, just absolute joy. Um, It is one of the most enjoyable experiences I've ever had. Um, particularly performing um, in front of a home crowd at the Commonwealth Games, my ball routine in the qualification. Um, I finished that routine and in a way I almost don't remember that routine because I was so in the moment and just so full of happiness and joy. And I remember finishing that routine and standing up and looking around the arena and there is – 7,500 people on their feet cheering and screaming at you. It's just like. <laughs> I've got goosebumps. I've got goosebumps right now. I've got goosebumps right yeah, now. Yeah. So you can imagine how that feels as an athlete, knowing that I've done that routine literally like over 500 times. And to nail it at that moment was just, yeah. Like I don't, like I said, I don't know if anything I do in my life will ever be able to compare to that moment again. It's just so amazing. So now that you've obviously that particular moment, I mean, how long are you on the on the carpet? Is that how you describe it? Yes. How yeah. long are you on the carpet for? So Two minutes. We have ninety seconds. Ninety seconds. Yes. So we do four routines, all ninety seconds. So. So you're. 25 at the time, Commonwealth Games is mm-hmm. now what, two months ago? Three months yeah, ago? exactly a month ago. Yeah, a month ago. Yep. So you're 25 <laughs> years old. The last 14 years of your life mm-hmm. into that 90 seconds. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot um, to, I guess, everyone else, but when you talk to other athletes, so like your sprinters and stuff like that, they only have nine or 10 seconds. So it makes me grateful 
that we have that 90 seconds. So we really have six minutes. You have six minutes to show the world what you've been working on for the last Across 14. Across the four different yes, things. Yes, before across Hoop Ball Club's ribbon. Right. Yeah, it's incredible. But, it, but still, that's, that's a tiny amount of time. That's, yes. that's enough time to, to, to make and start eating a sandwich, you know. <laughs> yes. But have your whole life focused upon that, mm-hmm. that moment. It's a lot of pressure, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's got to make you think about do you do it for those 90 seconds or do you do it for the journey? This has been the question, I guess, that I've been asking myself, particularly over this last month. Um, I continued after the Olympics um, for Commonwealth Games. Because you wanted to close the curtain in Brisbane, your old Queensland. Yes. You wanted to close the curtain. Mum and Dad don't have to fly the other side of the world to see this one. (laughs) They can sleep in their own bed They can save some money. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) They can save some money. And that lure of a home Commonwealth Games was just too much to ignore. I set a goal. I said that... I have a team medal, I want an individual medal and I thought that that was, you know, that was why I was keep continuing on. So I, you know, the last 17 months I've been training, been very up and down, very hard to come back off an Olympic Games. I, I guess I definitely underestimated how hard it would be. So I got through that, I got to the Games, I had a an okay qualification apart from two routines um, which were just standouts for me my other two weren't a hundred percent and I missed out on qualifying for the all-round final which we thought was a sure thing so I um, was beaten by my 15 year old teammate who came above me in the qualification and unfortunately in Commonwealth Games to make the all-round final it's two per country so although I came in in ninth position, um, Sasha came above me in eighth by 0.01 and therefore kicked me out of the all-round final. So that was, yeah, that was a hard, a kind of a shock, I guess, was the biggest word that I could use. I then made one apparatus final and I thought, great, this is my shot to achieve my goal. This is, I this is my chance to win my individual medal. This is why I've trained for the last 17 months to have this last opportunity. And in the back of my head, I knew that it was going to be my last routine as well. And I came out on the Friday. I had probably one of the best warm-ups I've ever had. I was in that flow state. I was feeling everything. I was just so happy to be there and I just wanted to just kill it. You know, I was so excited to to compete again in front of in front of my home crowd and I walked out into the arena, just took it all in. I had probably I would I would have said the most amazing first 45 seconds of my life. Just incredible. And I did a throw that I can do with my eyes closed and I've been doing for the last three years and I went to catch it and the ball bounced off my knee. And when a ball hits you from eight metres in the air and hits you, it goes flying. So my ball flies off the carpet and I then, the only thing that I could think to myself was, I want to get off. 
I want I want to get off the floor. To have such a huge mistake in front of a home crowd was just like awful. So I picked up the spare ball on the side of the carpet and I finished off the last 30 seconds of my routine after I scrambled around a little bit and I stood up and was just in absolute shock. I walked over to my coach and you sit on the kiss and cry, which is where you wait to see your score. <laughs> kiss and cry. <laughs> Everybody loves the word kiss and cry, but it's true. You sit well, on. We all see that fight. We see the <laughs> fight shot and it's always, it's this, this, it looks like the, it looks like the Winfield Cup statue. You know, there's always a massive human, yeah. giant, usually sometimes man yeah. or woman, and this tiny little person covered in spangles yeah. and glitter, yeah. you know, with a bunch of flowers waiting. <laughs> They're looking off camera and they see something that either either fills them with adulation or breaks their hearts. Like, And that's the shot you wait that's, for. That's the, that's the stuff that the public waits for. They love the kiss and cry. So... I, I'm sitting on the kiss and cry and all I can say to my coach is like, she said to me the other day, she's like, do you realize that all you kept saying was, I want to do it again. I want to do it again. Can I go again? Can I go again? Because I was just in so much shock of just what happened. I got my score. It was like a seven. Normally we're getting, looking for scores of 14. So not great. And the crowd erupts and keeps cheering and I was just and my coach turns to me and she's like Danny they still love you she's like it doesn't matter you know she's like wave and so I'm there like (laughs) bawling my eyes out like ugly crying and waving to 7,500 people after I've just literally done the worst routine of my life (laughs) and I came eighth in that final so obviously not even close to why I kept stayed around for the last 17 months. And I just, you have to think that I didn't stay on for the medal. I stayed on for the journey. I stayed on to experience that, to experience the friendships that I made over the last 17 months, to experience pushing myself through being beaten by a 15-year-old by, you know, failing miserably quite a few times over the last 17 months I that was why I was there it wasn't it wasn't for the medal the medal would have been amazing and I might be sitting here telling you a very different story but I think yeah I think everything happens for a reason and I I really think that that this last journey has taught me to appreciate appreciate that time that I uh, was in the gym and learning new things yeah and uh, well firstly it's, it's not often that tears come to my eyes sitting here <laughs> I've had goosebumps and tears in the last five minutes don't be sorry no look honestly for someone that lived a life a long time on medication that suppressed all of my emotional reactions I'm just so happy whenever <laughs> tears show up um at the same time, like that's fucking heartbreaking, <laughs> Danielle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's so, heartbreaking. What do you? What do you? 
what do you do? Like everyone's there to see you. You've obviously, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll meet you all for dinner after. It's like, uh, yeah. And that's, what do you do? That's all I could think about when I walked behind. So I ugly cried and waved and I kind of, I didn't even really make it through the full media zone because after every routine, you have to go through the media zone. And there's Gian like waiting for my interview. And I just, I sat on the floor in the corner <laughs> for a good 15 minutes, just in absolute shock. And all I could think about in that moment when I'm sitting on the floor in the back of the stadium, underneath the stands actually, was just like, I was just heartbroken for my parents and for all of the people that were there to watch me because so many people came, my friends of friends, my boyfriend, my parents, my parents' friends, like they all came to watch me and I've just like, for a better word, like I've just stuffed it up so bad. And I, you know, you think about all of the time and the money that they've put into me and I put that out. <laughs> it was pretty disappointing. But they weren't, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But you weren't doing it for a small round piece of metal. No, no. So. What did you, what did you win that day? I realised maybe not right in that moment. It maybe took me a day or so and I guess I realised that people don't support me and they're not there for me because I'm a great gymnast and people care and support me because they like me. Rhythmic gymnastics requires you to put a brave face on. It requires you to walk out onto the floor and put this almost like mask on of confidence and uh, self-assurance and you know who you are and I'm going to put out a great routine and it's often I guess kind of makes you push a lot of yourself out of the way because you have to be this I had to be an Olympian I couldn't really be Danielle um and I guess yeah it made me realize that people love me not because I'm an Olympian or not because I was going to be a Commonwealth Games individual medalist, but people love me because just like I'm, like I'm okay with me. Um, they like me for me. Um, they like me because I am fun and bubbly and I'm a little bit crazy sometimes and talk way too much, but that's okay. And they like me for that, not just because I do gymnastics. Yeah, That feeling you're describing, though, is something that I'm sure so many people listening give anything to have <laughs> that true true knowledge yeah that true knowledge of no 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 even in this super focused like live across the country on seven channels and i would <laughs> yeah. i don't know how channel seven did it but they were like able, able to be on every channel at once yeah you know live across the country everyone's watching on their phones the, 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 you know the nation's stopping they stopped the you know as soon as an aussie was ready to go like yeah. everything stop stop here we go aussie's right. on <laughs> here it is <laughs> you know even though even though that didn't in the way that you'd envisioned it, envisaged, <laughs> vision. Oh, I can't ever say that. No, I don't know. Yeah, I can't ever say that word. <laughs> Even though it didn't happen that way, mm -hmm. you know, there's this. Like everyone listening was like, "Yeah, 
I kind of think people showed up to my party because they're like me, but maybe they showed up because of a sense of obligation. Hey, oh, thanks. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, happy <laughs> birthday to me. You know, but for you to absolutely know that in the core of your heart, yeah, that's better than any any medal ever. That you, what are you going to hang it on the wall and it's going to sit there until you're seventy, and then oh yeah, that thing. Yeah, knowing in your heart that you've got that, that's got to be the greatest prize. Yeah, and it kind of in that like absolute worst moment I like I came out the back from the competition venue I like literally still had my leotard on I just wanted to see my mum like that's I don't know that's like a pretty silly thing no, but- <laughs> I would want to see my mum too that's fine I would just want a hug from mum as well and I just I I snuck out and I went to see my mom and give my mom a hug and then eventually the rest of my friends and the rest of my family came out and um I just kept saying sorry like that was my I just I was just like in shock I just I'm so sorry like I can't believe I let you down and everyone was like are you kidding me? Like you were beautiful. They're like, we don't care. They're like the fact that you are able to stand on a carpet with 7,500 people yelling at you in the first place was just like blew my mind. And that was just so amazing. Like, I don't know. It was incredible. That you now have the ability to go through life, whatever you choose to do next. Like what's with the skills you've got with you is 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 really something, and I'm always fascinated about skills that transfer from outside of an athlete's life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what what would you say that you've got that you know other people might you notice? Oh, other people aren't quite as good as that at, at that. Like, have you got an ability to focus that's better than other people? Have you got ability to? Would you say you're more resilient than other people? Um, resilience is a word that. Um, people use quite a lot when they talk about me. Um, so I guess in a way, yes, but I don't really see it as saying that like I have the skill of resilience. Like it's just, I feel like it's just something in me that shit things happen and you just keep going. Like it's not something that you think about actively. Does that make sense? Um, it's not like kind of like a, a conscious thing. Um, in terms of skills, I guess the ability to do 10,000 repetitions and then keep going, (laughs) I don't know what I'll be able to apply that in. And I guess that's kind of like what I'm not struggling with, but I'm taking this time now to really try and understand what skills I think I can use outside of sport. It's a very difficult question. Yeah. You're studying at the moment? Yes, yeah. So I'm doing business management and I guess in a way I'm able to apply that focus that I had in the gym. I can sit and I can persist at studying, um, even though I'd prefer to be in the gym. Um, I can sit there and make myself learn. Um, I'm a little bit of a slower learner. Everything takes me about an hour more than my boyfriend to learn and that's okay. But I guess I do have that skill of being able to keep motivating myself and keep encouraging myself to keep pushing through that difficult phase. Um, And I think self-awareness as well is something that um, gymnastics has really brought out in me. I probably understand it most in terms of my boyfriend because we live together and I'll say to him like, oh my gosh, like 
I'm really frustrated or I'm really angry because. And he's like, how do you know that? And I'm like, I don't know. I just like I can kind of trace um, emotions back and try and figure out like why I'm feeling so agitated or why I'm feeling so upset. I'm like, oh, well, because I think this happened and that means that I've reacted to it in that way. And my boyfriend, he gets crabby all the time. I'm like, why are you like, why are you grumpy? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, try and understand why. And then that can kind of maybe help you, you know, like not change it necessarily, but kind of understand why, then acknowledge it and try and move through it. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It really is. I can't remember if it was five or seven, but if you ask yourself why Mm -hmm. five times, Mm -hmm. you'll, you'll get it. You'll get it. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, why is this? Oh, because that person cut me off in traffic. Why does that make you upset? Yes. Oh, because I feel that I'm more important. Mm -hmm. Why do I feel I'm more important? Oh, because da-da-da. Why does that da-da-da? And then you go, oh. Oh, Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Okay. On your way, buddy. (laughs) I don't mind he didn't indicate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like I feel like you need to try and – well, not necessarily you need to, but I think it's really beneficial. And I guess that's – I hope is going to – be able to help me through this transition phase um, of trying to figure out who I am, where I'm going and what I'm doing in the next, I don't know, two-thirds of my life. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) you've got another quarter to go. Don't worry. You are are 19 years younger than me. You'll live to 100. You'll easily live to 100. So you've got 75 more years. So to figure out what I'm doing with my life. Oh, goodness. You get to have, have, if it's anything like your father, that's – it's just 10 more careers. Exactly. Everything exactly. Will be amazing. <laughs> what do you get out of coaching? Um, coaching for me is is quite similar to the feeling of, of being an athlete. So in a way, it almost replicates those feelings that you get as an, as an athlete in terms of you spend, you know, three hours in a gym every afternoon I'm coaching six days a week at the moment. So you spend still a lot of hours working with athletes. You go through the same phases as they do in a way. You go from teaching them a skill to correcting it, to perfecting it, and then to competition. And when you see them compete, you get that almost that same feeling as they do or as you did as an athlete because you see that hard work all come together and to see it I guess like it just all come together is it's yeah it's quite satisfying yeah and that's why the the, the coaches also emotionally react on the kitchen exactly cry. yes oh yes our coach was so emotional <laughs> she's like I just keep crying yeah <laughs> and it's funny because she competed at the Sydney 2000 Olympic Olympics sorry so she she also understands what it was like and so that's what I hope I can be for someone else as well. What do you tell your uh, athletes about when they do drop the apparatus? I don't know. Uh, bigger picture, the sun is going to come up tomorrow. It feels like the world has ended when you do a, like a crap routine and competition and or it doesn't come together the way you hoped or the way that you've been training or the way you've been preparing for, but you're going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be okay. The way that my coach explained it to me 
and I'm going to be very self-demeaning tomorrow in sport right now. But she's like, Danny, ultimately we are dancing with ribbons on a mat. That's like what you do, okay? So in the scheme of things, it's, you know, like you're dancing around with a ribbon. It's okay, you know? Like, yes, your life revolves around it and, yes, you put all this hard work into it, but, like, really when it boils down to it, that's all it is. And you can can move on from those mistakes and you can grow from them. Um, and like, yeah, maybe I will be able to use those skills in later life. Yeah. Yeah. When you, you've described through this conversation, you described moments of triumph, but you've also described moments of failure. Yes. <laughs> what do you, what are your thoughts about those moments of failure? And, that, and how important they are in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I – so I was reserved for the London Olympics. So I went into the selection trial as the national champion and came second and ended up being the reserve. And so that was my first real failure. That was my first – I was meant to be at the Olympics and now I'm not. And I – came back in 2013 and I won six gold medals. And that was the turning point for me of going, I'm not just doing this for fun. I'm doing this to be the absolute best gymnast and the best athlete that I can. So I feel like in a way, like those failures were meant to be, if that makes sense. I feel like in a way, that's why this most recent very public failure at Commonwealth Games was almost meant to be because I feel like I was meant to, I'm meant to learn something from it. Like going to the Olympics taught me that if you work hard and you put all of your energy into achieving this thing, then you'll achieve your goal. But I feel like what these failures teach you is much more than that. I feel that this failure is going to, I guess, make me look at things a different way perhaps. They're going to obviously challenge you um, and challenge you in a way that is a lot harder than standing on a podium. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. in, the, in, the, in 2012 mm -hmm. when... You missed out on London. Mm -hmm. It must, you know, obviously the arc of achievement was exponential at this point and then suddenly, no, 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 this isn't how things were supposed to go. Yeah. You could have gone one of two ways. You could have been, fuck it, I'm throwing him a ribbon, I'm out. Yep, I was very close to that. <laughs> Why didn't you? I have to credit that to the people around me um, as much as myself. I had a meeting with my coach at the time and I was like, I'm done. I'm finished. I hate gymnastics. I hate this. This sport's so unjust. It's the judging. I just I hate everything about it. And my coach is like, okay, okay. Alrighty, see you at 3.30. <laughs> just like, <laughs> just that acknowledgement of like, I hear you, but like, you're going to keep coming anyway. 
And that's almost what I, that's what I needed at that point. And the same with my parents as well. Um, they gave me that option. They're like, okay, okay, yeah, you can quit if you want. And I feel like if they had said to me, no, you have to keep going, you should really keep going, like just go till next nationals. I feel like if they'd pushed me and if my coach had pushed me, then I probably would have quit. But because they gave me that almost like room to figure it out myself and make that decision on my own in a way, that's why I was there. That's why I kept going. So I think it's, yeah, I think it's as much as my support network as it is, was it, uh, was me making that decision. And what did you coming to that decision rather than having that decision made for you? What, how did that affect the way you approached what was happening? Was there a shift in how you turned up to training? Was there a shift in how you approached things? There was because you're now, I was a 21 year old. So I'm not just a 14 year old who's being dropped off, but my dropped off by my parents and knowing that I was good at it. I was now a 20 year old, 21 year old woman who was making the decision to be there. So I was going to be there. I was going to put my uni to part time. I was going to work to support this dream. So I was really making the decision to be there. And if I'm, if I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there like 120%. Unfortunately, that's an aspect of my personality that I believe made me very good at what I do, but then is also very difficult to um, navigate through like real life as well. Because when I apply myself to something, it's like, I'm all in. <laughs> I can't find a halfway notion. And it's funny because going into this campaign for the Gold Coast, I, I said to my sports psych, you know, I'm moving down to Sydney with my boyfriend. It's the first time I'm living with him, um, but I'm still training. But I want to make it, you know, a little bit more of an easier experience. I want to, you know, really put time into my relationship and have balance and go to uni and do training. And then just like all went out the window. As soon as I really got down and into my preparation everything else just goes like backseat and I'm just like full steam ahead driving for training. So the balance aspect um, is a little bit questionable for me. Um, but that's what it takes to be an athlete of that level. Any athlete in any discipline that you talk to their families are like, oh, him, yeah, we, we see him. He shows up to, there's a fridge here. He does show up every now and again. Apparently we're married. <laughs> yes, my boyfriend would be able to relate to that very much. And in a way, my friends as well. I am so grateful to have the friends and the people in my life that I do because I am that person that literally disappears off the face of the earth for months on end. And then they are there for my surprise going away party to the Olympics. And, you know, they're the people that keep showing up no matter how focused on training I've been or where I've been in the world, they're the ones that just keep coming back. And that particularly in this last month where I've stopped training and I've had more time from my friends, I have caught up with so many people and I've just gone like, thank you. 
you just have no idea the difference that you've made. And now for you to still be here after me, like pushing you away and for me to be so focused on what I'm doing, but for you to just keep coming back, it's just like, they're amazing. <laughs> Did anyone, has any other like former athlete, aside from your coaches, has anybody else reached out about, okay, so... <laughs> Like I'm guessing there's no pamphlet, you know, that's like, so you've, no. you've, you've, you've finished your, your, you're in your mid-20s and everything you've ever done your whole life now doesn't count. Well, here's, here's how to go. Wait, welcome. Welcome to 9 to 5. Not yet. And there is – it's something that I actually get quite frustrated with in a way because um, – there's some people that might not necessarily be in my immediate circle, but kind of in that wider community, that wider circle. And they're like, oh, like it must be great. Now you can drink and you can eat and everything like that. I'm like, yeah, that's like super cool. But then there's also like a lot of really, really tough things and topics that I'm trying to like work through at the moment as well. So it can be a bit frustrating because people just take it so blasé. What kind of things are you working through? Um, I, I guess kind of people, oh, what things am I working through? Who am I? That's like probably, I guess, like the biggest question that I keep replaying to myself as I'm trying to get to sleep every night now is I've been doing this sport since I was 11 years old. And like I said, I put a hundred percent into this from the way that I look to the food that I eat to the, you know, everything I do is about being a gymnast. Stupid stuff like my social media, like I am an athlete. Who do I become now? Um, I, I guess I'm very aware that a lot of my self-worth and stuff is wrapped around being a gymnast and being good at what I do. So now trying to unpack that and try to find that self-worth in something else and another aspect of my life is quite a big challenge that I can kind of I can see coming but I'm not quite ready to like unpack it yet um yeah if I could I guess the only thing I could share with you is that I found myself at the age of 39 I find myself uh, divorced and unemployed in a foreign country, paying my rent out of my savings. Mm. All right, and I called my mentor. I, was, I lost. I was on a radio show called The Hot Hits. Mm -hmm. It was a countdown show on the weekends, and then I lost that job on a on the Thursday, and then on the Friday I lost the only other job I had, which was the voiceover guy for Bondi Rescue. And so suddenly I'm like, I don't have a job now. What do I do? I'm living in another country. I'm paying rent out of my savings. The fuck happens now? And I called my mentor and I said, "Hey man, I, I just lost the last job I had. I got no. I, I don't. Know, I don't know what to do. Like, all I've ever done is broadcasting. This mm. is all I've ever done. Is mm -hmm. Talk out loud for a living. Yeah, you know, like dance on the <laughs> carpet with a ribbon. All I do is talk out loud. Yeah, like, what do I do now? And he goes, "I'm excited for you, pal." I said, "What? I don't <laughs> think you heard me. I just lost both my jobs in 18 hours. You have no idea how crap this is." <laughs> he says, "I said, I'm not this." My, my my career looks like nothing. He said, mate, what happens now is that your career can look like anything. Yeah. You now have this extraordinary space that you can create anything you want into. Mm. Good for you. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. And 
bless his cotton sock. <laughs> but my desperation lasted honestly for about a breath. And I was on the phone to him when it happened. I was just like, I could feel the world dropping out from under me. And he was able to help me go, ah, mm-hmm. now you have the opportunity to do anything that you want. I'm so excited for you. Danielle, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> I really am. You know, you've got the university situation happening. You've got a relationship that you can now create into the, you know, the relationship that <laughs> yes. you want to create that you yeah. had the idea about when you're you know, talking <laughs> to your psych about it. You're, you're mentoring and being that person to those, those young athletes that, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that someone was there for you and you're helping and, 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 and truly affecting those young people's lives. Mm. Exciting times for you. Yeah, it is when you put it like that. Well, it is. <laughs> yeah. It is because I've, I've, I've been there and, and I just, you know, I showed you the cover of the, the book mm-hmm. uh, before and I, I do write about it. Um, it's got nothing at all anywhere. The closest I could possibly come to what you're experiencing now is when I walked off stage after the first grand finale of Australian Idol. I didn't know mm-hmm. if we were coming back for season two. There was 10,000, 4,000. 10,000 people outside. Oh the, the concert hall holds 3,000 people, wow. you know, covered in confetti. Guy Sebastian's winner. Shannon Owls hugging him. Everything's amazing. And I stood there and I went, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? <laughs> yes. What do, I, what do I do now? What, what do I do now? And I just, I just felt empty. I felt nothing. But you have so much already lined up. I just I'm so excited to it, to what happens now and that. I don't know, just remember, I would only say this to you, just try and try and realize it's, it's not my place to tell you anything, I'm, you know, but I'm just, you know, you're here in my house and I wanted to, you know, you know, all those people that came to see you on the Gold Coast, all those people are there for you and all they want to do is have you succeed. So just don't worry, the answer will show up. Yeah. The answer will show up. And you, you've got the safest place ever to stand while it does. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. so excited yeah. to see what happens. <laughs> I'm so excited to see what happens for you. It's yeah. exciting times, man. Yeah. Exciting times. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, that's the way, yeah, you need, I need to take it now. And, yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's going to be ice. Boyfriend knows what not to do with himself. He already doesn't know what to do with himself. But you, I used to be able to sit here and play game, play video games all the time. What do you mean you want to talk? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> you want to go out to dinner? Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I love change. it. Oh, look, I'm so grateful you came around today. I'm really, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's not often that I cry uh, when I have these chats, but you have got me to cry and you gave me goosebumps. Um, I'm stoked you came around. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. Best ever. I'm going to take your photo, okay? Yeah, of Yeah, course. yeah, on that camera right there. That's an old oh, Polaroid. That's Oracle. Yeah, yeah, it's rad. All right. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> that was Danielle Prince. You can find her on Instagram, D-A-N-N-I-P-R-I-N-C-E, at Danny Prince. I think... Pretty sure it's her birthday on Tuesday. Let me check what does Wikipedia say. Yeah, 12th of June. If Wikipedia is to be believed, it's her birthday on Tuesday. So send a happy birthday. 
Tell her you listen to the show. A uh, big thanks to everybody who put the word out about the show this week, who, everyone who shared it or, or put it on Instagram or, or just spread the word because getting more listeners to the show is, is it's brilliant when you help me do that. I really, really appreciate it. Extra special thanks this week to the people who put some cash into the show on Patreon. New Patreon supporters, Stu Barrett, Todd Richards, and Logan Hunter. Love you. Thank you. Those three fantastic humans are sending some regular cash our way to keep the lights on here and help me pay the people that make the show with me. Audio production on this show is, as always, by the incredibly talented Andy Marr. You can find him at andymarr.com. Show producer was Hayley Van Spania and my new producer, Rachel Barrett. Music, of course, by Toe Hider. Video this week by Anna Mitroy. And you helped me make the show because if you don't download it, I don't make it. But you download it. Thousands of you download it. And so I love to make it. That's it for me this week. Love you for listening. Thank you so much. If you need anything, you can find me on email, sendosheremail at gmail.com. Until we speak next time, I can't wait to see where you listen to this show. Let me know. Have a great time moving your body. Move your body for your mind. All right. I've got to go eat some dinner because it's Sunday night and I'm hungry. <laughs> okay. Until we speak next time, sleep well. Dream of beautiful things. 